You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick. There goes the Hubert Act. Uh, Hubert Act. Hubert O. Hubert Act. Hubert Act. That Hubert Act really good. And Matty Rose. Oh, thank you, George. See? Thank you. See? Where would we be without you? On Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour number two. The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. Frank Cervalli, NHL Daily Faceoff. Anything on Elias Lindholm? Elias Lindholm? Scored scored the game winner in game one. Elias Lindholm, extension? He's going to do that the whole time with Frank. Frank? Now's a great time. Yeah. And uh, Calgary sporting legend. Brent Cron in studio for the 8 o'clock hour. But right now, um, very talented person on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, I consider him a friend from the MLB and NHL Network, Mr. John Morosi. Hello, sir. How are you? George and Matt, good morning. Hope all is well in the great city of Calgary. And I always love catching up with you guys at this time of year or any other. Uh, we love talking hockey with you, too. We want to get to baseball, John. But we do want to get your thoughts on hockey. You, you mix in uh, time for time there on the NHL Network. Um, I, asked the, I asked the boys in the room here. I'm going to ask you the same question. Between the Red Wings, Sabres, and Senators in the Atlantic Division, who's the best Ooh. team out of those three? It's a great question. Uh, I, I obviously speaking here from the great great state of Michigan. <laughs> I'm I tend to answer Red Wings. Uh, I know obviously it was a tough uh, tough loss last night to the Stanley Cup contending Devils. I would say Jack Hughes. That was just, just the Jack Hughes show last night. Basically, he yep. was unbelievable. Um, it was a fun two screen experience for me. I was flipping back and forth between that game and of course the Phillies and, and Braves. But I, I I think that the the Wings goaltending is a bit of a question. But I like the the depth they've added on on the bat, on the blue line, and I think that you'll see Andrew Kopp be better in year two. I think really he was compromised by injury for a lot of last year and, and just not 100. percent And so he's he's back and better. I think Kopper coming in helps them out a lot. Larkin, um, DeBrinket obviously got some goal scoring. So I, I I like all of those teams. I think Buffalo is. I think they were they were so close. Well, they were what like a point behind Florida last year, and we saw what Florida did. Um, I'm a huge fan of Thompson and Tuck. I think that's just a great group. Skinner's there, um, so I, I I think maybe it's my it maybe a bit of a hometown answer here, but I, I do like the Wings a lot with what they built. But I I think all those teams, if you're if you're Boston, if you're Tampa, um, there are no sure things right now in this in this Atlantic. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. This is going to be, I believe. With all due respect to the to the Pacific, there I think it's going to be the toughest division in hockey, and uh, I, I can't wait to watch it. John, uh, you've been around the American program quite a bit, so you know Jack Hughes. He had a couple of goals. George threw it out to us uh, just earlier today. Jack Hughes, dark horse MVP. How do you feel about it? Oh, without a doubt. I, I think with him, it's been two things. I mean, number one, I think just the first year or so of his career, just sort of physically catching up to. The, the the physicality of uh, and the demands of the NHL. You got to remember, he's the only player in the history of the program that went right from his U18 year there to, straight to the NHL. And he's obviously not six foot five either. So like, there's there's that's a huge jump. Obviously, Quinn played at Michigan, Luke played at Michigan, um, and and it took and both played two years there. And so Jack, in a lot of ways, is still kind of catching up, I think, to to that developmental thing. But now, obviously, he's done way more than that. I mean, the, the game last night just showed. That when he's healthy and when he's going, there's just there's just 
very few people in the NHL with, with hands like what he's got. And I think the other piece is he's on a really good team and one that's going to be, I, I mentioned earlier, I think a cup contender. I mean, they keep adding talent. They've got, I think, some different different ways to score now. Uh, obviously, Hamilton had a big game last night too. So I, I just think that the overall, his, his developmental curve plus the, the quality of the Devils, plus just the way that the game is just so skilled and so open right now. I, I think he's poised for a huge year. And last night was just the, like the glimpse, the start of the highlight reel for what I think, to your point, could be, uh, you know, obviously, look, it could be McDavid, it could be Matthews, but uh, I think Hughes is right in that conversation. It's so great seeing the two brothers there and at a risk of yep. kicking up a hornet's nest. How great would it be to see Quinn Hughes as a devil? <laughs> well, it would it'd be a lot of fun. I know that... You know, from knowing the three of them for a while, and I, the first time I sat down with them at their house, it was before Quinn was drafted. So this is going back long time, and and so there's I've known them for I guess what seven seven years now, and and I, they have always talked about wanting to play together in the NHL, fully realizing that the odds of three brothers on one team is pretty uh, pretty challenging. Obviously, the the Stalls have been able to you know to do it and, and play together, which is unique, and, and now you see Luke and Jack together with, with the Devils. I think that for them, uh, they realize certainly Quinn's on a long-term deal there with the Canucks. I, I think it's that's not really on their radar right now. I do think um, if you talk about World Cups and World Championships, obviously they're they're, they're probably not going to be available for the World Championships the, with the Devils <laughs> at least playing the way they're playing in, in terms of what their expectations are. But I, I do know for them, they've always had in the back of their minds to, to play together on a, on a World uh, World Cup team or an Olympic team. And I, we'll see. I mean, they, at this point, uh, it's, it's going to be a stacked U.S. blue line in particular. Where it's going to be, I think, challenging for anybody to make it, really. But uh, it'd be pretty amazing to see multiple Hughes's on a, on a U.S. Olympic or World Cup team, along with multiple Kachucks as well, which would be a lot of fun. So it's, it really does. I mean, and certainly, again, I'm, I live here in Michigan, about 15 minutes away from where the U.S. hockey team trains. Um, it's, it really is a golden era for, for hockey in this country, and oh, yeah. uh, it's just a lot of fun to see all the talent at the NHL level now. Uh, John, I promise we're going to get to baseball, but I want to, have, I, I want to ask you one sure. more question. Um, do you think the Penguins are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender? Uh, no. Not right now. Uh, I, I would say. I mean, certainly they remind me a lot of. Uh, and again, I keep kind of relating it back to my own experiences. But this is this is like what the Wings felt like when they were in the later years of Zetterberg and Datsuk, and mm. their Cronwall was still on the team. They were still able to make it to the playoffs, but not really do much once they got there. And I, and that's how I feel about the Penguins now. And, and I I respect what Kyle Dubas has done coming in there trying to extend the window, and and that's what he should do because there's at least enough there that makes you believe that they could potentially um, get through uh, a round or two. But in terms of winning the Stanley Cup, I, I just – the standard right now is is what Vegas can do. The standard, I think, is still looking at Edmonton's talent top to bottom. And I, I just don't see the Penguins as being on that level anymore. Uh, certainly, can they still win a playoff series or even two? I, I believe that. But winning the cup, I think that that time is is done. It just the, the depth, I, I just don't see the same depth. You think about the team that won it like in '16 when they had Sheary and Rust, and and there were guys who were just scoring massive goals that were on like the third and fourth lines. Benino's line was amazing with Hagelin and that group. I just 
it's not the same kind of depth with this team. And now they've got Carlson, and he's and he's still, I think, elite. I mean, you've got you probably you've got four future Hall of Famers uh, there in Carlson, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, and they're all special. I just don't know if the depth is there to take them all the way through to a Stanley Cup. John Morosi, MLB NHL Network broadcaster, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. Uh, John, we saw it last night. Uh, the 300-win teams of the Orioles, Dodgers, and Braves win one game in the postseason. Does baseball have a format problem right now? Well, it's a fair question. I think it's it's problem. I don't know if I would go all the way to say problem, but it's something that they've got to look at and examine and, and really get to the bottom of why the team struggled the way they did. You still have the Astros get through, so clearly it's not it's not an issue for everybody. And, and the Astros last year uh, were were undefeated in the American League playoffs after getting the bye. They were 7-0. and So we've got one year where clearly the, the top seeds had struggles and a year last year where uh, the the two top seeds in the American League met for the ALCS, and the Astros didn't lose a game on their way to the World Series. So, I I have a hard time changing everything. I mean, not uh, not insignificantly here. The, the the television networks like the additional games. That's I'm sure a, a big reason why the format is what it is right now. Um, do the players have issues with it? I think that's going to be the big question when when you get to the end of the year. And obviously, hey, one team's going to love the format, and probably two teams, whoever makes it to the World Series, will, will think it's a great format. Uh, but when, when really things get decided at the end of the day, the players will say, wait a minute, so we've got this additional revenue coming in, so our playoff shares are higher. Uh, more teams are in the playoffs than were in the playoffs at the previous structure, so more of us have a chance to be in the playoffs and get a playoff share. Uh, but at what cost? And I think that it's... I, I don't think that we are at a stage where where the playoffs have become like a farce of any kind to where uh, they're saying, oh, it, it does, it's not representative of the season. I, I don't buy that. The, the, the NHL playoffs have <laughs> forever. I looked at the last 18 years. You're th- if, you're the, if you win the President's Trophy, you're three times as likely to get bounced in the first round than you are to win the Cup. And no That's one crazy. says that the Stanley Cup playoffs are, are need to be totally changed. So uh, maybe you would say, and, and this is where I would – I would I would potentially argue this point. Maybe you should go to a division series at seven games, to where at this mm. point it would be a a three one series lead for the Phillies, but not but not totally over yet. And and also somewhat significantly here, like the Phillies are a really good baseball team, maybe even a great team. They've yeah. got superstars and potential Hall of Famers up and down the lineup. They've got two aces. It's not as though they just lucked their way into beating the Braves. And the Braves are a great team, but the Phillies have an amazing lineup as well. Um, and, and look at the Rangers lineup and how, how good they are. I mean, there's you look around, and they were the, the first-place team in their division for a lot of the year, and the Astros are in the ALCS every single season. So, I, I, again, the, I have a hard time saying that the whole structure needs to be thrown out because there are still some very legitimate results that we're looking at right now. And, and I would submit that, the again, the Stanley Cup playoffs are way more random than the MLB playoffs, and I love the Stanley Cup playoffs probably the most of all. So uh, bring, the random, bring the randomization, bring the excitement, bring the unpredictability that we love so much in sports, and uh, I'll, I'll take it. Um, John, can you explain to me why the Braves even pitched to Bryce Harper? He has like a 1,600 OPS against them in the playoffs. Just don't pitch to the guy, John. He just murders you every time. 
He's unbelievable. And and but I think part of the issue is what I what I just described a moment ago about the Phillies lineup is that you you have to weigh it out to say if I walk him, who am I giving additional opportunities to? Hmm. And and you saw what Castellanos did last night. I mean, the those home runs just landed about five minutes ago. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he just completely tattooed those balls. And then Trey Turner as well. So I, I think that when you've got, and this is where, as Bryce Harper said to, to Matt Weiner of TBS, uh, this is where you realize the wisdom in spending money because look at the amount of talent that you bring in and, and look at the guys that, that did the damage. It was Castellanos. It was Turner, guys who signed there as free agents the last couple of years. And that's why you go and make those investments. So um, I, I thought it was a, just a, a great demonstration of, of lineup depth one through nine. I agree. If, if it was Harper and a, a, a merry band of renown that we didn't know a lot about, then – Sure, uh, then then maybe walk him. But the issue is that the other guys are pretty good too, and uh, the Phillies now uh, with that amazing home field atmosphere, which I just can't wait to see. I'm going to be there next week. Uh, I can't wait to see it because uh, you know I've I've seen some great atmospheres in in my life, and I've been blessed to be at a lot of really cool sporting events that have great great fan support. And this I think this is going to be right up there with some of the best I've ever seen. John, when you watch the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, and, and it, it all brings into this conversation again, like where did you see that one go wrong? Was it as simple as saying the Dodgers starters choked and the Diamondbacks took advantage of that? Well, I think that it's, it starts with the Dodgers starting pitching. And this is where, I, I, I've, I've said this before, I look, at, I look at this series in two different ways. Number one, am I surprised that the Dodgers were swept without ever having a lead? Yes, like that's a surprise. No one, if someone says they expect that to happen, that I, I think that's a bit of a fib. But in terms of the, the struggling to start and, and rotation issues from Kershaw and Miller and Lynn, that was, I'm not saying it was destined to happen, but it was, it was entirely something you would have anticipated based on the way that they had to really massage Kershaw's innings down the stretch. Miller was in his first playoff game. Lynn uh, is sort of hot and cold. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he gives up a bunch of home runs. And and the Dodgers had no – there was zero ability for their starters to get deep in games. And you could have predicted that because of all the names they don't have right now. Gonsolin, May, Bueller, Urias, not available right now. And so they're, they just were completely compromised in their, in their ability. I think if, if there's anything about the Dodgers – this in looking at Dave Roberts and his performance this year, it's not at all for me an, an occasion to criticize Dave Roberts of the playoffs. It's more to say, whoa, you won 100 games in a year in which you had to have 17 different starting pitchers? Yeah. 17, guys. That's crazy. 17, and they won 100 games. So that, that tells me that they've got a, a, an amazing manager and pitching coach to, to negotiate things the way that they did, and that at the end of the day, if you can't rely on your starters and then, and then Mookie and Freddie don't have a good series, you're done. And that's basically what happened to the Dodgers. That Varsho trade's working out pretty well for the Diamondbacks. I do wonder what their chances are against this Phillies team as well. Well, 
and, and it, it's a good point about how, how well the Varsal trades worked out. Gurriel has been amazing. Moreno, unfortunately for the Diamondbacks, he looks like he's going to be good to go for the NLCS after uh, the injury that caused him to leave game three against the Dodgers. But uh, do they have a chance? Absolutely. I, I think they do. They're, they've, they've been able to hit the long ball, and that, that to me is one of the hallmarks of, uh, of the postseason. If you are able to get some quick points on the board with a home run, you and then if you've got a, a dominant bullpen that can help your your rotation manage games, you got a shot. And and Corbin Carroll's homered a couple times. Moreno's homered a couple times. Tommy Pham has had uh, some really good at bats already. Uh, this is a, a good lineup, I think, for Arizona. They're getting hot at the right time. Um, obviously, Brandon Fott was able to get them deep enough into the game the other night to, to secure that that third win. But I look at the, the top of their rotation, Gallon and Kelly. They've got a legitimate shot at beating the Phillies. I think the Phillies certainly enter as the favorites. They've got home field, all those things. Home field advantage for them has been amazing. But the D-backs, they've got a shot at this thing, and they've got an electrifying player in Corbin Carroll. I'm excited. You know, it's 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 some new newer blood. It's the first time for the D-backs in the NLCS since 2007. The Phillies, obviously, they were they were in it last year, but it's just it's going to be a lot of fun. I think to see these two teams play each other, uh, and and it's it's great for the Diamondbacks and their organization to to be back in the playoffs at this point. So uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. And again, yes, the, the Phillies, the favorites, without a doubt. But the Diamondbacks have a better chance than a lot of people realize. Uh, John, how does baseball, the industry, view the Varsho for Moreno? And uh, Guriel deal because in Toronto there's a lot of sour people. John watching Moreno hit these bomb home runs in the postseason while the Blue Jays score one run in two games. How does baseball view that trade just one year into it? Well, I think it was an excellent trade for Arizona certainly, and, <laughs> and I think from the Jays' perspective, the, the, I understood and others understood why they made the move. That they wanted to get more left-handed. They wanted to get a little bit more athletic in their own in their own perspective because Dalton can play center, he can play all over the place. But I, I think that a couple things happened. They they may have missed their window to move Kirk. I think that if you look at it now, who would you rather have, Moreno or Kirk? It's pretty obvious who you'd rather have. So I think that they did they misevaluate their own guys internally, perhaps. Did they it obviously Vladdy being very close to Guriel and, and Teoscar, did, did that upset the, the chemistry a little bit, having both of them traded away? Perhaps. I, I think that in general, we're, we're talking about a front office that is under scrutiny now and how they arrive at their decisions and how much of the human element do they take into consideration. I think it was true with the Berrios decision. It was probably true with a number of their personnel choices during the course of the year. Their process is now being examined closely. Internally, it should be, and I think that it's being scrutinized a bit by the industry. And and I, I, my general point on the Jays, and this is where I think fans across Canada can relate to this a little bit, They, the, the fear at this moment is that the Jays have missed their window without it actually really opening. They've not won a playoff game since 2016. They have not won a playoff game, obviously, in the Vladdy and Bo era. And and now you look up and, and, and the clock is starting to wind down on this. And you're saying, oh, no, did we actually miss our best chance? Did we not make the right moves to capitalize on what we had? And and with Moreno and Guriel, the, the, the statement that I'll make is one of the most important things in sports, especially baseball, but I think this is true in all, across pro sports, you need to know 
and be clear-eyed in your evaluation of the talent that you have internally. You need to know what you have, Mm -hmm. and you need to know how that talent can be maximized and built up and cultivated and nurtured and mentored and all those things. And I just think the Jays fell short. They didn't really know what they had in Moreno. There's no way that there was a knock on him for a while around the Jays. Always, oh, we're not sure he's going to be a great defensive catcher. Well, then he goes out and, and by the metrics, one of the best defensive catchers in baseball this year. What happened? And, and I think that's where you have to really look at your process and think about ways of making it better as you go forward. John, uh, we appreciate your time. I just have to ask you really quickly. The Ross Atkins statement that uh, pulling Brios was completely John Schneider's call. Do you re- do you believe what he was saying? Because I think the fan base and a lot of us uh, watching how baseball's run now organizationally and how those decisions are made as an organization, do you really believe that was just solely John Schneider's call? Because I have a hard time believing it myself. George, I believe that was a half-truth. That's what we call a half-truth. <laughs> okay. A fib, uh, like you it, said it, earlier? It, a fib? Uh, well, uh, I, I think it was it was better than a fib. It was a half truth. Okay. And here's okay. what I mean by this. Do I think that did did uh, so? It was it was John Schneider's decision, as in he was the person who walked to the mound. Okay. Like yes. <laughs> okay. That, it was his by by rule of Major League Baseball. He is the field manager, <laughs> and once he crosses the line and motions to the bullpen, that is his decision. Like technically, that is correct. Yes. Okay, that was his choice. Did Ross Atkins run down to the clubhouse in Minnesota and say, "John, you got to pull him now"? No, I don't. I don't believe that happened. But I, I go back to the reporting of Shai Davidi. There was a member of the front office in the game planning meeting in which these things are discussed. And do I think that that individual said, "Well, okay, second time through the lineup, let's let's get Kikuchi in here for this"? for this stretch of left-handers. Um, and if that suggestion is offered by a member of the front office, and then John Schneider says, okay, this, is, this person was sent here by my boss to give me this message, and now here it is in front of me, I should probably make this move. Um, and then he makes the move. Technically, I guess it was his choice. Was he influenced by the front office? I would say I'm about 99.9% sure the answer to that is yes. And clearly, I'm a, I'm a big believer in this. Players are smart. I've been fortunate to cover professional sports for a long time. I believe the players are really smart. And what did you hear after the game? A whole lot of players saying, we were stunned by this, basically saying, that was kind of a strange move. Players are smart. They don't miss a thing. And to them, it was not the way that it should have happened. Uh, John Morosi, MLB, NHL Network. Terrific stuff as always, sir. Best of luck to your Red Wings this season. Let's do it again soon. Thanks for this, pal. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Anytime you want to talk baseball or hockey, you guys let me know. And uh, always look forward to our conversation. Thanks so much. He's the man. There he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Frank Saravalli next. Elias Lindholm. Eh? 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 Eh. All right. Big show. Russell and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's the big show. Russell and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan. The top of the next hour, uh, Calgary sporting legend Brent Cron in studio for the hour. Talk about the Flames 5-3 season opening win over the Winnipeg Jets. We'll get his thoughts on Jacob Markstrom, and maybe we'll ask him about the Oilers goaltending situation, which I Con- think he enjoys. Controversy? Yeah. Is it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Is Did it- you see that one kid yesterday after he got his Oilers jersey signed, he threw it in like the pool? Like, come on. Was that? 
What? I think that was in the past. I don't think oh, that was yesterday. That was a couple years but ago. Still, I like, remember that. I was a little little girl come and she on. chucked the McDavid right. jersey into the sure. pool at West Ed. Worst. All right. Um, but right now, NHL Insider for Daily Faceoff brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Mr. Frank Cervalli. Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, no. Is he gone? Frank. Did we lose him? These things happen. Hey, Frank, you there? What a dingus. I muted myself. Oh, that's... (laughs) Like, you had GVP panicking behind the board right there. screaming and yelling. He was like, what? What's going on? No, No, this should work. I'm sorry. They told me they fixed it. That's okay. It's all right. Are you uh, basking in the glow of another Phillies NLCS uh, appearance now? I am. I was there last night with my Ooh. two kids. Oh. How electric it is it in that park? So good. My so I have a seven and nine year old, and they didn't they didn't sit the entire game just screaming their lungs out. Could they see? Because doesn't everybody else stand? It looks like a very veteran so, crowd. Yeah, they, so they actually stood on the on, on the, the chair. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that's a that's veteran. the workaround. Yeah, yeah. You gotta find a way. Hey, Frank, where does where does Bryce Harper rank in Philadelphia athletes right now? Is he at the top of the list? Is he ahead of Jalen Hurts? Like, where is he? He's not ahead of Jason Kelsey. He can't be. He's he's no. I think he's actually ahead of Jalen Hurts and Jason Kelsey. Whoa. Like he's number one in the city, Whoa. right? I find J- Jalen Hurts to be kind of unlikable, actually. Ooh. So okay, I just think he's a hard guy to connect with, and. I think everyone can connect with Bryce Harper. What was the feeling in the building when he had that elbow issue at the bottom of the eighth? Um, not not as much of a pit in my stomach as when Craig Kimbrell walked the bases loaded mm, and right. forced the the that catch by Rojas in center field. Um, I literally couldn't. I was I had my rally towel and I was covering. I couldn't watch. I was covering my eyes. <laughs> really. I honestly, I was like, I, I just, I was like, you, you blow this, you blow the series. Yeah. Have you always, have you always been a Phillies fan like this, or is this just kind of with the recent success the group has had? It, it's not the recent success. Um, for the longest time, when I first started my career, I covered everything in town. I covered the Flyers, Sixers, Eagles, Phillies. During the NHL lockout in thirteen, I did the entire Eagles year practices, home games, road games. And, and I did, I covered two world series and I was thinking, okay, like if I, I don't, I don't really want to become a fan. That part of me, I'd kind of wiped from, you know, separating business and, and, and personal. And when I kind of realized last year, two years ago, I'm never going back to those others. If I'm, if I'm out of sports journalism, out of being a reporter, that just means I'm doing something else. I'm selling insurance somewhere. Mm. I'm never going back. So I'm a hockey guy until I die. And uh, I was like, that means I can be a fan again. And it kind of brought out in me the, especially with how good these runs have been. I want to show my son and daughter what it's like to be a Philly sports fan. Yeah. Just because their dad's a, a jaded dork doesn't mean you need to be. <laughs> right. Uh, better sports city, um, Frank. None. There are none. Philadelphia or Atlanta? <laughs> Atlanta is is hot garbage. Oh, it really is. Oh, Atlanta yeah. or Tampa, Let which one's know. worse? Just go down the string of Sun Belt cities: Atlanta, Tampa, Phoenix, 
They're all bad sports cities. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Atlanta's Terrible. bad. Uh, is the NH- No, we, I think we asked you this. Are they seriously going back to Atlanta for a third time? Is this seriously going to happen? Uh, I think they might, actually. Oh, my God. All right. Third time's a charm? They're, they're, they're suckers for the big market. Yeah. I, but I just can't argue with the third time's a charm saying. I just can't argue with that. I mean, you should, because now they're, <laughs> I mean, they're building a palatial new arena far, very far from downtown. Yeah. We've seen that before. Yep. Actually. It really and works. And convinced that it'll work. Yeah. Like, we've heard rumbles of expansion lately. What's the timeline on that? Because I like eight teams in each division, frankly. I think it's two, three, four years away. Probably four years away from a team dropping the puck. Okay. Uh-huh. Great. Because uh, they like that money. Because uh, the Ottawa Senators sell for $900 million, expansion team. What's what's the fee going to be? What's the fee? Uh, oh, it's be- a billion. It might be one, two by the time yeah. you get there. Yeah. And, and that's like, it's it's like getting a little hit. Like, you 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 get a taste of that. Someone cuts you a check for 30 schmel for doing nothing. Yeah. You just nod your head in approval, and they're like, okay, we'll give you a check. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to say no to that. And How do you get a job like that? I want a job like yeah. that. Yeah. And the players love it because it's more jobs for them and more money. Yeah. There's yep. more money in the pot for sure. Yeah. More for escrow. Um, Frank, wanted to, uh, wanted to ask you the uh, Flame season opener. Um, Elias Lindholm scored the game winner. Mm-hmm. Was absolutely it was a dynamo in the faceoff circle, like just historically good in the faceoff circle in that opener for the Flames. Anything close? You know, hockey's back when everyone starts talking about the faceoffs again. <laughs> yeah, Bedard getting hammered in the dot, and all of a sudden it's like, yes, faceoffs, baby. Yep, he was good though. I need tangible stats, Frank, and that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I love hockey so much. It's yep. so good. It's so good to be back. But he does win a huge faceoff to set up the game-winning goal. Like it, it's mm-hmm. got to be relative, right? Relevant, yes. Relevant, yeah. Um, I would say not the biggest story from Game One of the Flames, though. Markstrom. No, Andrew Mangiapane. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, you put in two after a, a really disappointing season last year. He was hurt. I get it, but I don't doesn't that doesn't matter. Hmm. Okay, that's I, fair. I think don't you think there were real questions about can Manjapani get back to that thirty five goal level? Yeah, like he there was, but he also told us at the uh, golf tournament he goes after the first month of the season he was dealing with that thing and it was hampering him all year, and I'm and I'm okay. sure it did it did bother. And the shoulders tough, like shoulders and hips. For hockey players, right? But I do understand Frank's point, right? No, like, yeah. Like 35 goals. Is he going to get back there? I feel like 35 is a ceiling, but it was a good start to getting back to that point, right? So let's look at his, his career numbers. 17, 18, 35, 17. Which one of these is not like the others? <laughs> right. So I would have appreciated if he would have saying that. But anyway, Frank, it's fine. Yeah. But I, I, I realized he was hurt. I realized one of those years was a shortened 56-game season. But still, when you score 35, the expectations ratchet up. Mm-hmm. And he also had, to your point, maybe injury-based, a career-worst shooting year at 9.3%. Maybe that was bound to rebound. All I'm saying is that, to me, you know, it's great that Uberto had two assists. Markstrom looked okay. Lind- Lindholm was good. 
all those things are positives, but for me, Manjapani, I was that's mm. the most exciting thing if you're a Flames fan. The other thing there is if he can stick on that right side of the top line, that mm-hmm. solves some problems for this team because for the last, I don't know, two seasons, since, since the other two guys left, they've been looking for someone to play on that right side. They can be a top-line player and really help drive that line with Lindholm and Huberto. Do you feel like that is still something that they're looking for or right now wait and see how the chips fall and then maybe address that as the season goes on, depending on how the first, you know, dozen, 15, 20 games go? Yeah, I think um, they're probably in wait and see mode. It'd be it'd be a nice fit. Um, I'd like to see Sharon Govich there. Mm. I think, did we talk about that when I was in Calgary? I just think he could. I just think he could be the perfect fit. Skates, great shot, electric shot, and really just has this. He he there he just he, you don't need to overthink it. That's one like playing with those guys. You don't there's you don't need much thought process. You don't need a high hockey IQ. Just get there and shoot. That's it. Those are your two jobs. Frank Cervalli uh, joining us here, courtesy of uh, South Trail Exports, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960, The Fan. Um, I kind of asked you and didn't ask you, um, Elias Lindholm contract extension, nothing? Nothing. Status quo? Zero news? Well, I think there's zero news, and it's not, I think, from the Calgary Flames perspective, they'd like to get something done. But I think maybe the easiest way to say this is when you know, it takes two to tango. If the other side isn't engaging, then you can't really do much. You can't get much accomplished. Right. And I think they're kind of at, it's not negative at all. I just think they're kind of at a standstill. Uh, I asked Eric Francis the question, like now we're into the season, big, important player, right? Can you can't really lose him for nothing. That's just terrible asset management. And this organization was burned recently by that with obviously Johnny leaving to Columbus. Mm-hmm. But what do you think is kind of the deadline for this organization? Eric Francis said around Christmas time. Do you believe that? Is that something you would kind of uh, nail down that if they don't have anything pen to paper by Christmas that you got to kind of trade the guy? I think it's all team-based. I mean, I I think it's how good is this team? Where are they in the mix? The team is going to answer those questions and set a deadline and that's it to come up with some artificial Christmas hmm. Thanksgiving, U S Thanksgiving, pick your favorite holiday, Halloween. It doesn't Valentine's I don't, I don't day. Know that means anything. I mean, Hey, yep. I'm a sucker for Valentine's day. I know Get you're romantic chocolates. Yep. Yeah. Oh, sneaky romantic. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, clip that please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I don't, I don't, I really, you could invent any day you want and yeah. circle it and say, we need to know. But if the team's in the hunt, I just, I have such a hard time believing. And especially if I think this team improves the way that they can and is in the mix, I don't, how could you possibly pluck that player out of the lineup just because? I think you have to stick with it through the end. Hmm. What's the harm? And I've talked about this before. Why are NHL teams so afraid of having a player actually 
finish out and play the full contract that you signed him to and agreed to. There's that, and also comparables drive me nuts in the NHL, Frank. Because player X makes that, player Y can't. That drives me nuts. In the NFL, it's when they sign their deal is the highest paid player at the time. I hate comparables in the NHL, and we see it all the time. Well, because this player makes nine, he this player can't make nine. Like, like, look at William Nylander. Like, he can't make as much as Austin Matthews when his deal is up, or Mitch Marner in two years from now. He's like, yeah, sorry, uh, Austin signed his deal, but the salary cap's up. I want now this number of dollars because I can get it. Like, I just don't know why we're all so obsessed with comparables in hockey when it's all about timing when you sign your contract. Yeah, I think there's certainly something to that. I just think, you know, you never want to box yourself into a corner. Like, maybe maybe patience, as much as they want to get this done, is a good thing. Mm. I, I've said this before. What happens if the Flames start 5-1 and one again and the wheels fall off in December? Aren't you probably going to be glad at that point that you still don't have Lindholm resigned? Good point. Mm-hmm. Not singling him out. I'm just saying flexibility is good. And flexibility of getting through and getting into the playoffs and seeing what happens and then figuring it out after the fact. Maybe you go on a deep run and he comes back to you and says, hey, I'll maybe take a little bit less than what I was originally thinking because I want to stay here and I believe in this team. Or maybe he just walks. And then you have... million to play with that you previously had allotted. I I honestly don't think there's a way that you can go wrong in this situation. Then you just spend that money on Steven Stamkos. There you go. No problem. Okay. Uh, He's dying to come to Calgary. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, but that's something Brian Burke told us, um, Frank. You know, everybody talks about players, but salary cap space is definitely a big-time asset in today's uh, NHL. Um, how no ner- one wields it. Yeah, yeah. How nervous uh, should Canucks fans be about Elias Pettersson? Or do you think that's just a fait accompli? He's going to sign a big, massive extension. I, I'm not. I, I've never been overly concerned, thinking that he there's an aura around him that he wants to bolt. I think he's perfectly comfortable playing this out, and I think part of the reason is he thinks he's in a different stratosphere of player than clearly where the Canucks have been to this point money-wise. And I'm not saying he can't get there. Who's to say he can't after the year that he had? Why can't he be a top five scorer in the NHL? I I think he can do that. Hmm. Um, And if he does, then he's going to be in the David Pasternak world as opposed to, you know, the high nines, the Nikita Kucherov world. What did you take away from that 8-1 win for the Canucks over the Oilers? Aside from Thatcher Demko puking in his mask, yeah, how good Tough. was that? Man? What a clip that is! So yeah, good. <laughs> can like there, there's it's not often that someone can use words and and you can smell something from it. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was it was like kind of the perfect exclamation point to a a very Rick Tockett like opener. Yeah, yeah. You had a scrap in the first few minutes. Your team absolutely mauls the opponent who came in with serious expectations. And your goalies, you had to pull him because he's puking in his mask. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, can you think of a better, like, that is the stuff of legend. This guy is out here starting a game with, you know, forget forget the flu game and and uh, 
and some bad pizza in Salt Lake City. Yeah, allegedly. This is, this is yeah. yes, this is the new thing. Who, who's blue line uh, has a you bigger... think he needs a new mask now yeah probably <laughs> i will i mean yeah you okay, call to get the painter and get him to yeah. fedex <laughs> yeah i don't care if you buy me a new chin strap or not i'm out um frank better blue line in canada leafs or oilers mm. when's matthias eckholm back yeah <laughs> can yeah. i say neither you can uh that's what i would say john klingberg um, wolf in that game against the habs well, if you watched him in Minnesota, like you would have said that then. Yeah. Um, I would probably lean toward the Oilers. Okay. I mean, here's the deal. Morgan Riley taken off power play one. Doesn't that tell you something right there? Yeah. I mean, you bring in a guy and the with the express purpose of not having Morgan Riley, your highest paid defenseman quarterback, your power play. That's a tough look. Yeah. Is, is it, is it a case for the team up North that, yeah, they know that probably their blue line isn't good enough to win the Stanley cup, but, the, but Ken Holland's going to address that at the deadline and just add another piece here because they they'll need another piece if they want to go super deep. Honestly, I don't think that's the biggest thing holding the Oilers back. I think they've been really complacent. Well, we could talk about Jack Campbell, but I think they've been really complacent in figuring out their bottom six. Mm-hmm. I think they're way too one-dimensional. I think they've got a lot of the same player. I think they're really lacking speed. And it sounds funny to say for a team that has Connor McDavid, but when he's not on the ice, they're not a very fast team. And they need some more of that. And I just think that they've been slow in addressing it. Hmm. How much concern do they have over Matthias Ekholm and this hip issue? You don't like to hear hips at the beginning of the season. Not for big 33-year-old guys. I've been saying it for weeks. Like, that is a real concern for me. How do you just show up at camp and, and all of a sudden you have an issue? Like that's, that's tough and a really tough way to start a season. So I've been sort of sounding the alarm and it seems like they're not very concerned about it. Maybe that's part of the plan is to just take their time and be patient and ensure that it's not a year long nagging thing. And if you need to miss the first few games, then it is what it is. But look, this is a guy that uh, is a large human being that doesn't really I don't think he he moves all that well to begin with. Um, you you certainly don't want to see that. I wanted to ask you about the Sabers as well. They get Owen Power and they get Rasmus Dalene signed. So now they got Dalene, Samuelson, Power, uh, Thompson, Cousins. They're all signed for basically forever, and they're all twenty five or younger. Are other teams looking at what Buffalo has done and saying we got to try and do this? We're going to wait and see how it works out for them. How's the rest of the NHL looking at how the Sabres have just started signing their young players to long-term deals and, and we'll ride with them? They're actually copying off of another team, and that would be the Ottawa Senators. The Sens already did all this. Mm. It's amazing, though, when you look at Cap Friendly, all of those guys that you mentioned are all signed through 2030. That's so far away. What it sounds like, what are we were we gonna have flying cars by then? 2030? <laughs> what is that like what? It sounds forever away. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm doing next week, let alone 2030. Are you shopping for a flying uh, car? 
any of our music. I mean, I might be. Yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but you consider that all of those guys, I love that you've removed the question. We're not having the, how many times do I, I join you guys now every Friday. How many times have we talked about Lindholm? Yeah. You've yeah. now like, you've got Rasmus Dahlin till he's 31. He's only 23. Yeah. It's the, you've got everyone locked up and with the way the cap, I'd say by 20, 526, the cap's going to be at $100 million. What's it going to be in 2030? It's probably going to be $135 million. Here, here's here's a... Here's These a... contracts are going to look like an absolute bargain. Yeah. Um. Okay, here's a question for you then. If you want to look into the future, in the year 2030, an old Conan skit, but 2000, who's more likely to win a Stanley Cup within the next five years, the Sabres or the Oilers? The Oilers. Okay. Just throwing it out there. But I, I, I have said repeatedly... Because the window in Edmonton with the McDavid and Dreisaitl contract thing... That doesn't... No, no. Okay. Not a, not a big deal. All right. Because they're both just going to resign. There's no place on planet Earth that both of those two guys can play together except for Edmonton. Anyone okay. acquiring any one of those players wouldn't have the room to get the other. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. Are okay. they that did you, much? Have, did you pay attention to social media this summer? It was like the Connor and Leon show. Like Leon might as well have just bought a place in Ontario. They they were together every day. It felt like. I think he only went home to Germany for three weeks. Wow. They're attached at the hip, and it's kind of a scary thought if you're down Highway Two. Uh, but I will say this about the Sabers: I think in two years' time. There is no better team in the East prepared to contend than Buffalo. There you go. I think they're going to be the beast of the East. Okay. That's why I asked. But you question. just happen to pick the one team that I think is out West is standing in their way. Okay. Uh, Frank, always a pleasure. Enjoy the uh, Phillies run. Uh, take on the Snakes now in the NLCS. Maybe we have a World Series rematch. Wouldn't that be fun? Not really. Okay. <laughs> Not – I just – yeah, the Astros are painful. Seven consecutive ALCS. That's that's crazy. It is. And uh watching Dusty Baker. It's Tom Brady like. Yeah, watching Dusty Baker with that toothpick. Cuz toothpick's more you ever of a lifestyle. You nervous for him? No, no. That guy no, he's a pro. I miss that he I miss that he used to wear the batting gloves in the dugout It'll for shoot some your reason. Eye out, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Frank terrific stuff, pal. Let's do it again next week. See you guys. There's Frank Cervalli on the uh, South Trail Exports guest hotline brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Um, there's a gentleman in studio. He'll join us next. He's a Calgary sporting legend. I want to ask him about toothpicks and mayonnaise. We'll do that next. It's the big show, Russell and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan.